0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Apron Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. This is a special edition of Some of My Best Friends are Kabbalists. I'm not here with Rabbi Nelson Gluck, who is in Ashkova uh, and is getting his head back in place, Uh, but I'm here with another of my best friends who I don't know if he would call himself a Kabbalist, but it's definitely somebody who is informed by the mystical tradition of Judaism and is more than just a dabbler in Jewish thought. And because he did the honor of listening to one of our programs on this uh, platform, specifically the Harusa, where Rabbi Warch and I locked horns about the proper method of uh, an, an approach to Memorial Day and Jew and in American holidays in general. I'm talking about uh, my very very close friend Rabbi Mark Gottlieb. Uh, thanks, Mark, for once again gracing our platform, um, and we've missed you.
1: <laughs> oh, it's, it's a pleasure to to be back on the program. Uh, I I think I'm very far from a kabbalist, but I will say that one of my earliest uh, pulls towards Yiddishkeit, towards a life of um, Torah Mitzvahs was by an important modern Kabbalist, Rabbi Aryeh Kaplan of blessed memory. Uh, I used to to soak up and, and drink from his his many many works very eagerly and and with a lot of gusto as a as a young boy in Queens, New York, and uh, so certainly from that point on, uh, a an observer, if not a a practicing uh, Kabbalist, or even you know, deep disciple of of Kabbalah, but certainly uh, I uh, I'm honored to be here.
0: Yeah, well, if you again, I, I always try to push my own product, but if you actually go to the Kharusa program, the one before that was actually uh, informed by Arya Kaplan's. Um, little discussion about life on other planets. Ah, yes. Where Ari- so we actually discuss Arya Kaplan's ideas vis-a-vis the Rambam and others. And we actually give Arya Kaplan his due and considering what he was able to accomplish, not only uh, the, 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 volu- the volumnity of what he was able okay. to do, but also the, the style and, and and the success that he had in articulating it. And you're right, bringing a mystical perspective to to the mikvah. Remember his, his, sure. his work on, from Francis Y about the secret sure. of the mikvah. But in general, his, you know, he, he actually, um, my good friend, Rabbi Gluck, who isn't here with us, actually, uh, many, many years ago showed me that Arya Kaplan had started to uh, publish on meditation and Kabbalah in the Wiser
1: Press. Yes. Um, where, Those are the last uh, volumes, really. I mean, the, the book on immortality and pre-Adamic man was, I think, even after those volumes on on meditation and Kabbalah. But and, uh, and
0: there you see that he was actually steeped in the thoughts of Abulafia
1: and others. Oh, yeah, so he, he was, he was right. you know, And a he a real master and, and a practitioner, from what I from what I heard. You know, as it were. That there were you know, students of his that. That we're studying with him and and as you know of course he died at a very young age I, I knew I, yeah 40. i knew his
0: yeah i was friendly with his teenage son yes. who was used to hang around near yeshiva when i was there and um yes kaplan's influence his footsteps uh, will be felt i look even if all he did was uh produce the living torah that was already uh that's already a, a one man major uh,
1: accomplishment
0: for one person but uh yeah, I would say it, what I found interesting was Kaplan's fascination with the Mayam loes He mm-hmm. had a, which was interesting because you would think you know that's such a populist work that you know collects you know many many different strands. So it's interesting that he really worked on that and really be, became the um, the engine for the Mayam Loways to be translated. Uh, it yeah. was it was finished by others, but it's interesting that he really thought uh, he thought he wasn't just. Always thinking up there, he was allowing the ideas to come up there and and come down. So you you you've done your cred. You can be some of my best friends are capitalists today. <laughs> okay. I can be one of your best friends and be the capitalist too.
1: well the, if the you title... can be capitalist, maybe maybe I can be capitalist. I don't That's know. Right. You're right. more you're more eclectic and more learned than I am. So
0: okay. Well, but the point is the t- the title runs both ways.
1: That's <laughs> okay. my point.
0: They but are. anyway, but thank you again for listening. And I know that what piqued your interest, and I knew it would. Uh, was the connection to my argument which was an argument there for a greater inculcation of American ideals in other words instead of just knowing about the day off uh can you can you respond to that a little bit what your feelings were in terms of the yeah no I was
1: very moved I was very moved by by your argument that American Jews are really out of touch in a way that 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 incapacitates them, or, or or certainly compromises their ability to both be makir tov in a deep sense to the United States. I don't mean in in the platitudinous way of paying lip service. Oh, America is a is a, a wonderful country, and Jews have done well there. But to try to understand more deeply the relationship between memory and history, and tradition, and one's Jewish identity the place of religion in America, whether that's a source of, of strength for America. Of course, in an America that is increasingly populated by nuns, you know, not nuns in habits, but yeah. the nuns of the Pew study, where you know people are, are no longer attending church services, no longer saying they believe in God. You know, what is we, we should talk about that. I think that that's a fascinating and, and very... Critical um, dimension to, to unpack: what what is what makes America the Medina Shel that Rav Moshe Zatzal used to speak of often? Uh, what what character and quality in America allows America to be the safe haven for Jews and other minorities and other you know besieged peoples over over time in history? But I, I was very moved by your your argument, and yet. I, I found it to be so idealistic and so out of touch with the cultural and sociological dimensions of American orthodoxy today that it it almost seemed fanciful. in other words, I wished that the program that you suggested could be put into place, but there would have to be so many you know prior you know prerequisites so so to speak to actually get us to the point where young Jews, young men and women would go to cemeteries and Decorate or, or honor or commemorate the fallen, or or be involved in patriotic song or patriotic um, symbols and and celebrations. I,
0: I, I wonder why you consider it fanciful, Mark. Because look, you you you, you were ahead of school in a in a lot in a number of prestigious places. Um, you don't think that uh, a number of you know if it would be the Frisch and MTA and and SAR and some of these other Places that lead the way uh, would would push for these things. You don't think within you don't I, think it could be ever, it could ever be entrenched there.
1: Look, let's start with the the obvious challenge that American society, by and large, has lost its sense of history, lost its its sense of of American identity, of patriotism. I mean, we we are still in the wake of BLM, the death of George Floyd antifa we are we are reaping sort of or you know reaping the 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 challenges and and the at at moments it feels like it, it's a death knell to to the american spirit that you and i grew up with even as jews and even as you know increasingly religious jews um so i think the culture and the climate of America, forget Jewish America or Orthodox America, Orthodox Jewish America, but just America, it, it's, it's so negit hazerem, it's so against the grain, it's so against the tide and against the current to think about America in those terms. I welcome that. And I personally am involved in efforts, both myself and the Tikva Fund where I work, to try and reclaim. Uh, an American tradition, a, a sense of American history that doesn't feel ashamed of our past in a uniform way. Obviously, there are things that any American with a moral sense or with a sense of justice and righteousness can say were are great sins, we're errors, were, we're more than errors, we're sins. Yes, but that doesn't delegitimize America as a nation or American history as As an enterprise, and unfortunately, even saying that is pretty, you know, radical or pretty uh, controversial today because of the climate of the progressive left and and the deconstructionism that we find in American, both academic and popular circles.
0: So even the lip service that's, let's say, is done for... um, the troops and even honoring the fallen soldiers, it always has to be done with the caveat, but what they were fighting for was imperialistic, uh, ugly garbage, right? In other
1: words, no, that, right? I mean, in other words,
0: we, we honor the fallen, but we are disgraced
1: by what they were fighting for. Yeah, in that, some ways. That, that certainly is, is a very common articulation, and I, I guess I, I would take a well, step further, I would take a step back in some sense and say that the sense of honoring the past, the sense of tradition, the sense of the American story and song and symbol, all of these things I think are very attenuated. It's lip service at best that's paid to things like the 4th of July. We know that it's, it's, a, it's a holiday of commerce and a holiday of consumerism. How many, you know, you have to look at the Leon Casses and Amy Casses of Blessed Memory of the World of the Diana Schaubs. They put together this wonderful anthology of American song, story, literature, speeches, sermons called What So Proudly We Hail. Uh, it's published by Intercollegiate Studies Institute, which is a, a wonderful organization. I personally benefited from, from their largesse and, and their educational programming. Uh, founded by basically William F Buckley and and Russell Kirk in the 50s um who are today considered you know very conservative or you know on the on the not on the radical right but certainly on the hard right um in some in some circles i have i have no i have no doubt that buckley would be banned from
0: uh, from a Twitter's a Twitter account uh, today. Yeah, sure. I mean, sure. Buckley I mean, said
1: things. Yeah, in his day, that would be verboten today, and yes. that's and that's you know, frankly, very sad and you know, even tragic. Frank, I, I think for Americans and for Jews, because I think we'll get to this point hopefully at some. Well, some, I'll let uh... you. I'll let
0: you get there now. I, I think what you were saying before, Mark, uh, was you know, and 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 both Rabbi Warch and I, I think agreed, and I think I've, I've been on record for that as well, is that it, it's an illusion to think that the woke culture is going to be so. Uh, uh, expansively welcoming uh, our religion. We know already that that it's going to come down. And I guess this is what's really interesting though is is that a lot of the Jewish intellectuals of the 50s, the 40s, 50s and 60s were very happy with the lack of christianity that was occurring, right? They were they were very happy with 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 the fact that church uh, attendance in church
1: was going down. It didn't with one be- exception, one major exception the Lubavitcher Rebbe of blessed memory. The Lubavitcher Rebbe, as as you may know, spoke often about prayer in public schools. Obviously, he didn't want a sectarian or denominational prayer, but he he very much saw the American civic ethos being tied to the traditions of morality that he ultimately thought could not be separated from religion, could not be separated from the host nation's Christianity, uh, its culture, and it's faith, and I think the the of Rebbe in that way was light years ahead of many of his colleagues and peers that still had a vision of Christianity that was jaundiced, to say the least, and, and maybe you know more more virulently critical. You know, someone like Rabbi Eliezer Berkovitz, who was you know hailed as a modern Orthodox thinker, you know, in some ways on the progressive side, with his you know works Torah Min hated Christianity. Hated, hated, hated Christianity. But Christianity was the source, was the source of secularism because it took the body and, and made such a a grave of the human body and, and a Gnostic um almost demonization of the material and the physical world. Now, whether this is a fair characterization of Christianity or not, that's another question. But someone like a Rabbi Eliezer Berkowitz saw Christianity as, as absolutely poisonous to culture. The Lubavitcher Rebbe did not agree. Uh huh.
0: So even though the Lubavitcher Rebbe pushed Sheva Mitzvahs Bnei Noach for the Noachites, you don't think he was, uh, you don't think he felt that that would ultimately lead to rejection of Jesus as as savior? Look, obviously, as the
1: he, he, look, there's no question that that he would have welcomed that, and and that his campaign, the Mitzvah of of the Zion noah Noach, was more of an accurate embodiment or a full embodiment of the ideal of, of religion for the Gentiles than dogmatic traditional Christianity, certainly with doctrines like the Trinity and the Incarnation. But I think I think the Lubavitcher Rebbe was a more subtle sociological thinker, more of a subtle uh, a pragmatist in the sense that he knew that as many of the founders of America knew, even those that were deists, uh, they knew that one needed religion as a bulwark for society and for culture uh, to be defended against the vices that you know, human, <laughs> the human heart that is unfettered by religion or unrestrained, so, so by religion. So
0: in other words, he might've been able to split. In other words, obviously he was very aware of the excesses into the, uh, into the horrors that Christianity wreaked upon the Jews uh, throughout European history. But he, you're telling me that he probably felt that in the United States, because of the, um, this, the, the glory or the grandeur of its founder's ideal of freedom of religion, that a strong Christianity would not
1: morph into this monstrous oppressor. I know. Not only that it wouldn't morph into this monster suppressor, that without it, without a strong Christian or at least traditional monotheistic religion, there would be no protection from the advances of, of a rabid secularism. There would be no protection both in terms of the population's own moral standing and their own habits and practices. And eventually... In the form of government and legislation that would be less sympathetic or less open to religious practice and religious liberty and, mm-hmm. and more aggressively, doctrinarily critical of religion. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So I don't think the Lubavitcher Rebbe would be surprised that in San Francisco in the early 21st century, there would be a, a motion in the city council to ban circumcision because it's considered immoral. Mm-hmm. Um, that would he that would not surprise the Rebbe as a as a likely outcome of a of a secularist rab, aggressively secularist uh, America.
0: You, you, you know, again, I have. Yeah, you know, we. I've talked about the Lava Trebi often with you and with others, uh, definitely an incredible, important character, uh, and a person and an influence and a teacher of the 20th century. But I know there's another, um, you know, another great mentor in a sense of yours, although I don't think you ever studied from him. I had this list to, to actually hear him a number of times and, and both of us are familiar with his works. Let's talk about the Rav, Rav Um, You know, he has a lot of negative statements about Christianity, and he talks about what he's, uh, he fears uh, interfaith uh, meetings. He talked a lot about uh, when he talked about even a beautiful little piece when he speaks about the cacophony of Jewish prayer that it's so much different than the uh, measured um orchestral like uh church service and he talks about uh how we need to guard against uh borrowing and and absorbing from christianity um but i'm sure cuz what was his take on it? i'm sure it was a lot more nuanced than 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 that right
1: Sure. No, look, I think the Rav, Rav Salvechik is a, is a fascinating, you know, figure of, of greatness for, for us who identify as engaged Orthodox. But I think the Rav is someone that could be studied with great profit, even if you feel that you're more in the Haredi camp or in the Torah-only camp, however you might call yourself. I, I think you're right, so right, Rav Ramel, to to identify Rav Soloveitchik as, as a major thinker in this area, um, and the very essay which you refer to, the 1964 essay, Confrontation, in which the Rav famously severely limits the possibility of Jewish-Christian dialogue to those areas that are secular, what he calls secular. Now, the Rav, in a footnote in that essay, makes the very, in some sense, um, you know understandable not to say obvious but the very clear understanding that for a from for a god-fearing man or woman what is truly secular what what actually is purely secular and after limiting the 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 realm the space of dialogue to areas that would be understood as purely human or secular not religious which he clearly um forbids or 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 certainly circumscribes very severely, he goes on to say, but for the Frum Jew, you know, what truly, even your views of economics, your views of, of anthropology, your views of poverty, ostensibly things that would be secular or human, are always going to be tinged through the Aspaklaria of Torah, as they, as they should be. So it's not a stira within the, the rav, but it's a tension which really highlights the larger tension in that essay between ger betoshavd. That for Rav Soloveitchik, the Jew relates to his host society, whether you call it America or you call it Christian society or Christian culture. The Rav was born, you know, in in a in a part of, of um, which is you know the border of Poland, White Russia. A Catholic and and Christian between Catholic and and Russian Orthodox, uh, that's the kind of home he came from. But when he came to America, this tension between being a part of the culture, seeing oneself as a citizen of the culture, while also seeing oneself as an alien—that paradox or that dialectic of Gerbatosha—that is the central dialectic in the Rav's thought. And and when we apply it to American citizenship or American culture, American society, we're we're very acutely aware that this is a very difficult dialectic to negotiate. And so, know,
0: Mark, Mark I, I have to just have to interrupt you just for a second because sure. you, know, you know I know a lot about the Rov's youth in Khoslovich and uh, about Reb Eliyahu and of course Rav Moshe Salvechik and the whole history there, but I've never heard anyone uh, talk about that the Rov was somehow open to Christian influences in in I
1: mean, I know no, that. no, no. On the contrary, <laughs> I'm <laughs> suggesting. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm suggesting that that part of the Rov's views uh, of Christianity uh, are very much a function. Not only of the thinkers that he read, people like Karl Barth or Soren Kierkegaard, but they were also very um, viscerally imprinted on his neshama through his his childhood and life in in places that were not the most hospitable and, uh, Jews. Uh, I, don't, not, I don't think and, I don't and, think his his attitude his attitude to Christianity is more nuanced than than I think. You let on, but I, I think it's fundamentally suspicious. <laughs> it's so you, fundamentally so. In other words, and theologically critical. You know, uh, Alafak so... Man is is in some sense a critique of, of a kind of Christianity. Uh, it's it's also uh, a a kind of critique of of a form of secularism. So, you know, the Rub I think had you know complex views on on Christianity, but mainly mainly suspicious and skeptical views.
0: Although he probably again did sit with a number of Christian thinkers when he was in university. I'm sure he was well, quite he certainly was,
1: you know, <laughs> a reader of, of works like Bart and Kierkegaard, which were very much in in the air in Berlin in, in the twenties um and early thirties. And you know it, it's it goes without saying people get upset when you say the rub was influenced by Kierkegaard, or some people get upset it, it, you know important people in my life important people in the life of Kal are uncomfortable with that formulation but there's no question that he read these thinkers with great profit and with great you know with a great eye a discerning eye but with great value but that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't adjudicate the question of, of what he thought about Christianity and I I actually want to take a step back before even discussing his views on Christianity, just America without, you know, without the religious dimension of of Christian because America today is a post-Christian nation. It's not a Christian nation today. And any, any Jew I think who, who still believes that America is a Christian nation at its heart and soul is just missing, missing the times or, or just missing the signs of, of, the reality of where we're at as as a post-Christian culture and a post-Christian nation. But the Rav, one could talk about the Rav's views on America, you know, and little, there are these little vignettes, you know, from Herschel Schachter um, speaks, everybody knows this now, that the Rav would go back to Boston on Thursdays and he would try to leave earlier on the Thursday of Thanksgiving so that he could be home, presumably, to have a Thanksgiving meal with his, with his Rebitson and, and the family. Um, you know, he, but, made a, he made it a point that his students should know that he yeah. was celebrating Thanksgiving. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, at the same time, with that deep affection for American tradition that anyone celebrating Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is the quintessential American holiday, uh, the rub also had a, a way of being obje- more objective and and more, um, a, a, a gear in the sense of being able to, as a third party, so to speak, evaluate America, evaluate its strengths and its limitations. The Rav has a famous; it was a drusha that he delivered in the fifties, probably originally, but it got w- worked over a number of times into the sixties and maybe even into the seventies on Pasha's Noach, where he basically analyzes Dora Mabel and Dora Flaga as the contemporary battle between East and West, between America, the, the nation of individualism, and the rugged individualist, which is very much, he sees a, a, a kind of representation of the dor Hamabul with Hamas and, and the Arias and, and personal lusts and personal indulgence uh, setting the cultural tone versus the kind of totalitarianism and the one-worldism of communism that is represented in the Dor Haflaga, F- uh, Moshe uh, uh, has uh, a famous, famous parish on the, the, sure. the on the Dor Haflaga on the, the, the you know the the door of, of Migdal Bavel, um, but there the Rav doesn't equate America and the and Soviet Russia. Of course, he knew that America was a much better better place for Jews for 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 human beings for freedom than the Soviet Union. But in that drush, at least homiletically, he's able to kind of See the strengths and limitations and the dangers of of the American ideal of individualism run amok. What are the dangers of that? It's kind of what Solzhenitsyn, in his famous Harvard address um, in 1979, when everybody thought he was going to severely criticize Russia, where he had been exiled basically and finally, you know, kicked out. Instead, he turns his 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 great literary weapons against America and the West for being too indulgent for being too individualistic, for being too uh, too too much in the spirit of license and uh, and legalism, um, both license and legalism, which he sees are two sides of the same coin. A, a lack of a moral compass, a lack of a moral center. So the rub is able to dish out his critique of America as well in the, you know in in an almost even-handed way with his critique of of Russia, of Soviet Union, of atheist, communistic so, Soviet Union. But there's no way that the Rav thought these were equal, um, you know, equal entities in terms of their value for the world and for Yiddishkeit. Um, but I think it is fascinating that the Rav was able to, you know, celebrate Thanksgiving, see the limitations in America, see the power, the strengths of America, see the strengths, you know, the, and the, the deficits of, mostly the deficits when it came to the Soviet Union, but you know, one could see if one wanted to be very even-handed that you know, there was the the space race and you know cosmonauts. You know, he talks about cosmonauts. In, right. in, I know in he talks about too.
0: he talks about Sputnik. Yeah, he
1: talks about yeah. he talks about Sputnik. There, he talks yeah. about the cosmonaut not seeing God when he looks out the window of. Uh, of, of his space I, I love his uh, his Sputnik
0: discussion, where he talks about how the ish is like Sputnik in a way that there's a booster engine that gets him into the orbit of Haloha, right. but once he's in that orbit, he doesn't move. In other words, you need your heart to get involved to something, but in the world of aloha itself, it has its own uh, status. And it's a stasis in a way that it doesn't change, and that was the how. <laughs> that's the way the Rav looked at a satellite. Um, you know, I know one of the things that you told me off uh, the record when before we started recording was that you liked my uh, use of the Rambam in Hilchos uh in my debate with Rabbi Warch. I mentioned that Rambam, uh, and I wanted to build upon that. The same way the Rambam says that the rise of Christianity and Islam. Uh, were uh, things that were machir, the, 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 the civilized planet for the ideas of a mitzvah the ideas of a Mashiach the ideas of Geula and that when it comes it's now not going to be this overwhelming, uh, like a a space beam coming from that. Alien, alien, right? But it's actually going to be something, human life, it's going to be something that the world was already cooking about and talking about, thinking about. And would would only just clarify, as the Rambam says, the doubts that people would have. This is the Rambam's, and we know, of course, that this section of the Rambam has been censored because of the negative things he says about Jesus. I'm going to read a little bit of it in a minute here. But one of the things I know you said you liked that I wanted to add to the Rambam um, uh, the idea that perhaps the, the same way the Rambam was so taken, as he says, Rov olam, is now involved in Christianity, which he feels must have a purpose, the great American footprint, which has, in a certain sense, taken over the planet, I would I would argue, and I did argue, that also it serves a purpose in a messianic one, in terms of being Maksha, the planet, for the eventual uh, revelation of the great goodness of God. So I know that when I said that, you told me that this was uh, connected to some a project that you've been working on uh, and a project that, uh, interestingly, was also, in a way, inspired uh, by that Rambam. Uh, and, and maybe you want to talk about that in the minutes that we have uh, and the time we have remaining. I know you've been working on a, on a sure. major project. Uh, so why don't you tell sure. us about that?
1: Sure. Well, what I found about your comments that was so striking and, and thought-provoking was this idea that America is, in the image of the Rambam there in Hilchus Malachim, you know, America is becoming the the, the real bastion or the final, the final bastion if you look at Europe today and secularization across Europe and, and Islam to a certain extent as well. But America is the center for world Christianity, although there's a lot going on in, in the sub- you know, sub, I would In say us, sub-Saharan Australia, world. Australia. Australia, world, Australia yeah. Africa, South America, you know, Indonesia. But America still, I think, has the, the, the concentration of Christianity and Christians. And, and the question, you know, is America such a safe haven for the Jews because it's the land of the free and because it, it has this tradition of tolerance and pluralism? as some might might have it or is the the key to understanding the jews good fortune in america more tied up with believing christians than than secular americans and i think this is a very fascinating question i i think the question is, has a i won't say a simple answer but i think it has a straightforward answer that of course the 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 well-being of the Jews is much more tied up with believing Christians than it is with secular Americans, because I think increasingly, as we've just seen in the past couple of weeks, when it comes to Israel and when it comes to anti-Zionism, which is often just a a, a facade for anti-Semitism, it's not always, but it it often is, uh, I, I think that the 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 Jews' well-being is going to be much more tied with the success of Christians, of believing Christians, than it is with secular, increasingly secular, and increasingly, you know, identity politics-driven Americans. And and this recalls an amazing passage in Rav Yaakov Emden in in the series of of his comments, but. The, the the most ambitious formulation is found in his uh, his comments on Seder Olam Rabbah Uh It's also found a follow-up in, in his Seder, in his Sefer Shimush. And as we were discussing, there's a parish on Avos that also echoes this on, on Machlokas L'shem Shemayim. L'shem Shemayim, his, his, his magnificent parish on Avos, yeah, so, Very- if I could just very bolder-dise Rav Yaakov Emdin a, a little bit for the sake of time, basically Rav Yaakov Emdin says that that Jesus, who he thought was a Jew and a a faithful Jew, to boot, was a um, was a tova kafula. He uses this powerful Russian tova kafula. Jesus was tova kafula for the Jewish people because it protected. It protected the Jews in terms of Christians caring for Jewish texts for preserving Tanakh. Now, of course, Rav Yaakov Emden is not naive. He knows that texts were sometimes manipulated for proselytizing purposes, that texts were were, were burned. Tanakhs and Talmuds, more often Talmud rabbinical work, was burned because of, of, of the Jewish content. And yet, he still says that Jesus was a double gift of goodness to the, to the Jews because of the protection that, that Christianity as a society has already given and what it will continue to give, that he saw Christians as a much more natural ally to Jews, to believing Jews, than non-believing Christians or, or atheists. Um, he was talking in the immediate context of this work about the Sabbateans, the Frankists in Poland, the offshoot, the Christian offshoot of the Sabbateans who he fought, you know, tooth and nail um, his whole life, uh, even going so far as to, to accuse another great guddle Ravionas and Ibyschitz, of being a closet Sabbatean. But that Christians would, if they would, the more they'd understand the Jewish nature of Jesus and his true mission, which was to preserve Torah, but to bring Torah, the Torah values, the Zion Mitzitz ben Noach specifically to the Gentile nations, to the previously pagan nations. This would be an ongoing tova for the Jewish people. I think Rav Yaakov Endin is very prescient here. Some might consider this naive. I consider this prescient. Because if you look today at the world stage, at the geopolitics of, of the world in the 21st century, The natural alliance, I believe, is between faithful Christians and faithful Jews. And Jews, to the extent that they see themselves as as part of the ancient and everlasting Jewish people, Netzach Yisrael lo Yishaker, I think Christians will be increasingly likely to support Jews, whether it's the state of Israel or just Jews in general. And I think that that is really, The, and I don't mean it for merely pragmatic reasons, but I mean it for for deeper reasons that there should be that recognition on the part of Jews that there has been some major changes in terms of the church, the Catholic Church, Protestantism, certainly evangelical Protestantism, although it's it's more complicated now than it was 20 years ago when you didn't have a, a progressive. You didn't really have a strong progressive anti Israel evangelical um, community. Today you do. It's growing. But even putting um, Israeli politics aside, this larger theme in Rav Yaakov Emden is very powerful to me uh, of the the kind of alliance, the natural alliance between believing Christians and believing Jews. This is not, Rav Yaakov Emden is not calling for ecumenicism in a slipshod or sloppy fashion to say that it's all one thing, although his his arguments about Jesus and and Paul are radical in their own way um, beyond saying that Jesus is a Tova Kafula but his whole theory of of the origins of Christianity are quite radical in that the claim that that the Christian the early Christians really had no intention of abolishing Judaism or saw themselves as Jews and even saw their goal and their, their their evangelism as an extension of their Judaism. And that they were very careful of Yaakov Emden says not to offer a Gentile a bris milah, because that's not that's al not pihalacha. And that Shabbos, they didn't want the Gentiles to keep Shabbos because goyesha Shabbos is chayv Misa. Now, whether this is scholarly, you know, can it stand up to scholarly scrutiny? Probably not. But the larger, almost, I would say, political theological strategy of Jews and Christians being allied is very profound and it's very prescient. Yeah. Again, you know, you say a lot
0: there. And of course, Rabbi Yaakov is something is someone that I have been involved with for most of my uh, mature life. Uh, and I've done a lot of reading and uh, in this incredible over of, of material. I would say, Mark, that I think that this, that this, this is a very famous these are very famous passages that are quoted often because of, as you say, because of how startling they are. But I don't know if for Yakovenden's life, uh, in terms of his interpersonal relationships with the Christians, uh, in any Absolutely. way... My, 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 great,
1: my great teacher and my, my Rebbe, my great teacher, my great mentor, uh, Rabbi Jacob J. Schachter, uh, who I, I think about with gratitude and, and love every day, really, uh, has a wonderful article where he says exactly what you've just said, basically. So Baruch Shekivanta, uh, and Rabbi Schachter is is really probably saddened, because it
0: seems like your perspective is not that positive about change happening, whether it's in the Jewish world, recognizing the ideals of what America was built on and acting upon it, or any real shift in the United States, well, away I, I, from away from, because you know other uh, other right wing thinkers think that the pendulum might swing back, especially if you know. Uh, but, but I'm not sure.
1: Well, I'll, I'll say this, that. and and with this we can close. It's a good way to, to to end where we really began. I I'm staking my my life as an educator professionally on the bet that we can educate young Jews. I I that's what we do. That's what I do. I spend. Most of my waking life working with young Jewish students on American history, on American identity, on, on Hashkafa, on Jewish thought, showing that there are deep resonances here. I'm I'm suggesting though that for the larger American landscape, the larger culture, I think that's probably lost. it, it that's pessimism, but it's realism because it's, it's really a reflection of where we are as a culture. Could it swing back? We could create a vanguard of these wonderful, you know, B'nai and B'nos Torah Jewish kids that understand the meaning of America, that understand the Hebraic spirit of America. Yes, but that's a big project. And we're just starting that project at Tikvah, and we've got a long way to go. But the larger society, I think it's Hollywood and, you know, and, and, and Wall Street in the crassest of ways. And we have to carve out little communities, the, the the confessional tribes, what Rabbi Jonathan Sachs used to call the Jeremiah option or the creative minority option. And we'll leave it at that. That'll be a teaser for the next conversation. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the
0: Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.